All right, so once again, thank you for being here. Uh, welcome to 2024. Um, a few weeks ago, when I was starting to kind of lay out a plan for what I was going to talk about this morning, uh, there's a lot of Bible verses I could have taught from. There's also, I don't know if you've been watching the news recently, there's a ton of stuff going on in the news, you know, as we start the new year. But after a lot of uh, thought and prayer, I decided on a verse that's always been special to me, even though I was younger and, and in grade school, I remember it. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31. And this is what it says. Yeah, here we go. Woo, woo. winner. <laughs> Isaiah 40, 40 uh, 30 through 31. It says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. Now, the reason I chose this verse is because it reminds us that no matter what's happening in our lives, in the world around us, because of God, we can have true joy. We can have happiness. We can soar on wings like eagles. And this is what our Lord wants from us. This is what he wants us to never forget. So this morning, let's go a little deeper into this uh, verse. I want to look at each word, uh, because what Isaiah wrote Everything in there means something. It's there on purpose. He didn't have a homework assignment and had to write two pages, so he had to fit some stuff in there. This is all, it, everything means something very specific. So let's look at it. Isaiah, verse, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 30. He said, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Now, to a degree, let's be honest, it states the obvious, and that is all people, even young people, fit people, people who can run a half marathon, will get tired at some point, right? We all do. We experience that. But I think we can all admit as we grow older that it seems to happen a little more often. Don't have the same energy level as we used to, right? Uh, for anyone 50 and older like me, anyone remember a time where you were able to w wake up in the morning, get out of bed, and your knees weren't cracking, or you didn't have to grunt a little bit, or just, you know, take a little bit of time? We've all been there, right? I, here's another funny story. I was talking to my wife about this. I remember a time right when I first got out of college, my friends did, and we would, on the weekend, we'd go out to to meet, and we would frequently meet for dinner at 8 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy now. I, don't, I need at 5.30. I'm not going anywhere to meet and have dinner at 8 o'clock, because I need to have time for the food to digest, otherwise I'm going to get heartburn later on. Anybody know where I'm coming from there? So while those are kind of humorous and we can relate to those, what I, Isaiah is actually referring to here, what he's talking about is not being physically tired, uh, but also emotionally, spiritually. And Isaiah is saying that there comes a point where we reach a limit. Everybody reaches a limit. Where the most fit, the most young, old, doesn't really matter. The most well-trained, prepared reach a point where they run out of steam. You hit a brick wall, you reach a breaking point where you simply can't go on. And there's a lot of things that can bring you to that point. It can be one thing, it can be many things. And what's a big deal about that, unfortunately, sometimes, is that can be devastating when it happens for real. If you've ever experienced that or knows, know someone who has, when life slams into you and just pulls every sliver of hope and everything out of you. All right? It can be extremely difficult. And what makes it worse is not just necessarily that end point, but the fact that over a long period of time, you've had so much just drained out of you, right? Um, it just it, it's like a wall that you can't climb over uh, where you're done and there's nothing else. And again, that can be very difficult because without solid hope, without solid faith, um, you can kind of lose everything. People can and do just give up. And also in that same realm, you, not if you've experienced this, where some people go through that and they get to the point where they just kind of accept that this is about where they're going to be now. That's their level of happiness that they just kind of live with. 
they don't have the energy to try to climb up or fight or change things. They just stay there. Um, and you see, this verse that we're talking about that Isaiah wrote so long ago is for all those people. It's for all of us. It's a reminder that being bogged down, being tired, just having everything pulled out of you, it happens. It happens to good people. It happens. Life hits you. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Sure, we experience that. But what we can then experience, what we can renew in our strength, is so much higher and so much greater. And that's why I think the start of this year is a good time to talk about this, right? And to understand how we can, can, we, we can excuse me, begin that process, Isaiah tells us how we can start here but get up to here. And he gives us a clue, and it's actually in verse 31. Let's look at that. Isaiah 40, verse 31, just the first part. He says, but those who hope in the Lord. Now, some translations, even the the Bible you may have, may use the word wait instead of the word hope. And in either case, it's okay because those words direct us to the exact same place. And let me explain. To have hope in the Lord and to wait on the Lord means specifically that you have trust in him. Now, not blind trust, not blind faith, where you don't know God, you don't know what you're waiting on, or anything like that, but rather we trust him because we know him. We have a relationship with him. We know his nature. We know his teachings. We know that he sent his son uh, to save us. Therefore, we can trust him. You know, and to compare this to, in a small way to a real-world real example, years ago when my kids were little, uh, specifically my girls, we took them to a water park. And we were going up to this one big slide. It was, it was huge. And they're da- down looking up, and it looked great. And everyone's running, and everyone, you know, adults and kids are having this great time. So we wait in line, and we get to the very top. When you get to the platform, there's these couple of uh, pools, and there's a, you know, an attendant, some kid, he puts you on a, uh, like an inner tube, and then he kind of just push you down into this, this chute, this tunnel. And my girl saw that, and it was a tunnel. I'm like, no. Nah. Whoa, 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 You can't see if it's going to go right. You don't know how long you're going to be in there, but just for a second, it was like, nope, we're done. All right? And so then there's, there's one of two things I could have done. One, I could have simply uh, let the attendant, you know, that high school kid making minimum wage, try to convince them or put them on there and struggle with it and shove them down there and see how it goes. Or what I could do is have a talk with them as their father. So this is what I did. I sat my girls on there, and I talked to them. I said, listen, I, I'm your dad. Do you trust me? I said, I want you to look around. You remember what we saw coming up here? All these people are having a blast. I know there's this tube, and you can't see what's on their side, but I want you to trust me. As your father, you are going to have a blast. You're going to love this. Everyone's having fun. You can't see the corner, but I want you to trust me. Do you trust me as your dad? They said, yes. I said, okay, hang on, girls. And I said, and I'm coming right behind you. And they had a blast. It was wonderful. They had a great time. Now, the reason I tell this story is what I want to try to highlight is the kind of trust that Isaiah says that we can have in our father. And it's the same kind of trust my girls had in me because I was not some stranger to them asking for blind faith, someone they didn't know. But they could trust me because they knew me. They had experience with me. They had a relationship with me. Right? And again, that's completely different than having blind faith in someone you don't know. The kind of fatherly trust that Isaiah is talking about is when he says, listen, you can have hope in the Lord. You can wait on the Lord. He will be there for you. And in both cases, we know God. We know his teachings. We know he sent his son. We know he works for our benefit. And we can trust in him even knowing we don't necessarily know what's going to come right or left. 
We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, the next month, the next year. But because we trust him, we can believe in him and we can follow his plans. Now, to also understand this completely, this isn't a passive process. This is an active process. It's not like where you just you get a lottery ticket and you sit back and do nothing and wait for it to be cashed. When we trust God and we believe in him, we go about our lives day in and day out. Even when we can't see what's happening tomorrow, we stay firm, we trust in him, and we believe in him, right? And we wait for his plan to unfold. That's what faith is. I actually like to describe it as a lifestyle. And this lifestyle, a Christian lifestyle that follows Jesus Christ, we should look different than other people. And here's how I like to describe it. Imagine you had a room, uh, you had 100 people on one side, 100 people on the other side. Let's say this, for example, this side Everyone here believes in Jesus. They, they know him, they trust him, they follow him, and this side doesn't. And then we followed these two groups of people for 30, 40, 50 years. If they look the exact same, if everybody acts the exact same, handles life's difficulties the exact same, then Christianity doesn't matter. It has no bearing. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, and we follow him, and we trust him, we should be visibly different. Even when we're going through difficult times, we can be loving and patient and forgiving and we can soar on wings like eagles. And this is where Isaiah is taking us, right? Now, along those same lines, there's a great verse in the New Testament about faith, exactly what we're talking about. It's from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and this is what it says. Now, faith, now faith, faith is confidence in what we hope for. If you ever want a good definition of faith, this is it. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance for what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So this verse makes it very clear that faith is confidence, it's assurance, it's tangible, it's real, it's palpable. But even though we don't see God face to face, we can't necessarily see what's happening next week, next month, or next year. But we have faith. We trust in God. Now verse 2 goes on to explain. It says this is what the ancients were commended for. And what this is referring to, this is actually really cool, talking about the big names in the Old Testament, and this is going to sound familiar, of people that acted out in faith. They followed God even when they didn't have any idea how it was going to work out, but still they did. They trusted God, and God's plan worked out, benefited the world. So the rest of Hebrews 11 talks about this, so we're just going to hit some of those verses to highlight it. So Hebrews uh, 11, then 7, 8, 17, 20, and 30. And this is what it says. So verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Now, this is kind of the way my mind works. People say, and I, I kind of think like Jerry Seinfeld in a way. I can imagine when God told Noah, you need to build this boat, this ark. And he was thinking, okay, you mean like a canoe, right? Something like this. God's like, no, 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 I'm talking something like like the Titanic, something huge. And I was like, yeah, but there's no ocean anywhere near here. Well, I want you to trust me. I want you to build this. So what did Noah do? He built it. He built it. He trusted God. And in verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his, as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Quick synopsis. What happened was God told Abraham, listen, I know you're comfortable over here in a place called Ur. I want you to go that way. Just trust me. Take your family, everything. Just go. And Abraham went. Now, can you imagine how that discussion would have went when he went to his wife? Hey, listen, this God you don't know about told me we need to pack everything up and we're going to go that way. Well, honey, how far are we going to go? I don't know. How long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. Is it one day, two days, is it six months? I don't know. Is it going to be dangerous? I don't know. 
we're just going to go. And here's the crazy thing. They went. They had faith. They went. Right? And look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And this is where God tells Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he prepares to do just that because he has faith. Verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. This is where Moses went before the Pharaoh. Remember, ancient pharaohs, they were tyrants, they were dictators. He went before the Pharaoh and says, give up all your slave labor. Everybody that's free, you know, that gives you free labor, let them go for free. I'm going to take them with me. Pharaoh could have easily just wiped them out, but Moses persisted. And of course, through all the the plagues, uh, Pharaoh eventually relented and let them go. But it took a lot of credible, incredible faith to do that. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after an army had marched around them seven days. So just here's a story here. God told Joshua they were going to attack the city of Jericho. And instead of attacking that, he said, I want you to march around that city. Now, I'm not a general or a lot of experience in war, but I have a pretty good idea, and especially in ancient times, it wasn't smart to walk up to the city walls and then spend seven days taking your army just walking around the city walls. Where the army inside can see exactly what you do and don't have. You waste seven days of food and water. But they did it out of faith, right? So what these examples tell us is the, the, biggest, list, the biggest events listed in the Bible, they occurred because of pure and simple faith. People had no idea necessarily exactly how God's plan was going to unfold. But they had faith. And they followed God. They trusted him. There was no map. There was no this is going to happen than this. Many times God gave, you want to read these stories again, God gave very general, vague instructions, like especially with Abraham. I just, just, just go that way, and I'll tell you when you get there. And so they went. God would fill in the blanks as they went. Right? And then yet, here's what's beautiful. Look how the world was blessed because of them. And how much more do you think their faith caused them to soar when God's plan unfolded, exactly like he said it would? I mean, that just would have been incredible. Now let's continue. Let's jump back into Isaiah 40, and let's look at the rest of verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. So what happens to those who hope in the Lord? It says they will renew their strength. They'll renew it. Their strength will return. It will come back. Now notice, test me on this. It does not say that you will never lose your strength. God does not say, hey, believe in me and you're never going to have one bad day. Smooth sailing. (laughs) Boom. It does not say that. The Bible does not say that. That's a prosperity gospel and that is absolutely false. What God is saying is, yes, you will have hard times sometimes. You will have bad days. Some days you will get stretched thin. But if you have hope, if you have faith, if you trust in me, I will renew your strength. I will be there for you. You will soar on wings like eagles. And you know, one of, the, one of the many things that I love about Jesus, and there's a lot of things, but it's the way he spoke to people, and the words he specifically used. He did not speak as someone who was like on some golden throne talking down to everybody. He, he spoke to people as someone who understood them, what they were going through, right? That he knew exactly how we feel. He understood we have good days, we have bad days, and he doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't come down hard and say, why don't you believe? Why are you struggling today? He doesn't do that. Rather, he comes as a loving Savior and time and time again says, I came to help you, to save you, to give you a better life. I came for those who are stretched thin, who have no hope. I came to, I've come to help you. And these are his exact words. He said in the book, 
uh, uh, Matthew 11. Now, as we read these, I want you to put your mind, uh, imagine someone who's lost and pulled thin and just has nothing less. This, this is who he's talking to. That's, this is what makes these words so much more beautiful when you understand where he's coming from. Matthew 11, 28 to 29. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So could you imagine what it would be like to be that, to, to have that and have Jesus say that to you? I mean, that is beautiful stuff. He's looking at those who are lost, weary, burdened, looking right in the eye. And he, he's not, again, from a distance. He's saying it face to face. He goes down at their level. He says, come with me and I will give you rest. Now there's a, um, a really unfortunate story. It's in and the New Testament, you've probably heard it, where the woman gets caught in adultery and she's pulled out in front of everyone, like the whole townspeople. And everyone's grabbing stones that are about to stone her to death, right? And the Pharisees, they start asking Jesus questions. And I don't know if you remember from the story, but Jesus is not standing up there toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You know where he's at? He's actually probably kneeling down, riding in the sand. He's eye level with the lady that's about to get stoned by her entire town. And he's down there. And at the end of it, he says, didn't anybody condemn you? And he, she says, no. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Again, he was on her level. He wasn't looking down at her authoritative with his arms crossed. And sometimes to really, honestly, to really appreciate Jesus Christ and how great he is, the gift that he is, you almost need to know what it's like to be lost, really lost. And that's when it becomes so much more special. For, for example, and this is going to sound funny, but it's true. Does anybody own a life preserver? Life jacket, got one in your garage somewhere, right? They're, not, they're just kind of, okay, it's not that big a deal. You go in and out. You ever been on a boat well past where you can't see land and then it starts to go down or feels like it's taking on water? That life preserver then becomes the most valuable, the most important thing you've ever had because of where you're at. And so sometimes to really appreciate Jesus, it's easier to take him for granted when you know, we live in the richest country in the world, we have all everything we need. But when you're going through difficult times, really tough times, that's when he really becomes that much more special. So imagine being lost, having nothing, and then Jesus comes to you and says, come to me if you're weary, if you're lost. I will give you rest for your soul, right? Then he reaches out at your level and you take his hand, right? That's when someone really begins to soar, right? When they belong to the family of God. It it just changes everything. And what's so cool about the phrases, the words that Isaiah uses, is that he's talking about a state that is far beyond what is normal, right? Like, this is going to sound funny, but to give you an idea of exactly what he's talking about, imagine if everybody in Sebastian, we took, a, um, we took like a, a, a survey on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy is everybody? Like, what's normal for Sebastian happiness level, right? Let's say it's like 7, like 7-ish, that's normal. Isaiah is not talking about, hey, believe in Jesus, you're going to get to 7.5. That's not what he's saying. If seven is what's normal, he's talking about something that's like 40, 50, 70. This is not what's normal. This is far, this is soaring. This is completely different. He's describing how it can be when we truly believe in God and we follow him, right? When we let go of our old ways. And I got to tell you, this is true. Uh, I've been on a number of mission trips and some of the happiest people I've met are missionaries, People who've lived in the West, like for instance the United States, everything we have, and decided to leave all that and go help someone in some of the poorest countries in the world. They really are. Uh, there's an orphanage 
Uh, there's a couple orphanages we go to, but there's one in particular that's pretty far up in Haiti, up in the mountains. It takes a while to get there. Uh, and there's, uh, I like to say, a hospital. <laughs> I work in a hospital. I have for years. And it's basically a cinder block building with a couple rooms, and their labor and delivery room is basically, it's an old, looks like a labor and delivery chair from like the 60s. It's got a hole in the bottom, and they have a five-gallon bucket at the bottom. That gives you an idea. And it's wide open. There's chickens walking through. And I got a picture at home if everyone wants to see it. It's pretty crazy. But the point of the story is this little bitty hospital is run by these three nuns from Canada. And two of them don't speak English. They speak French. Uh, the one speaks English. And every time we go there, they are the happiest people. They are the most blessed. They don't have air conditioning. So that really, that's a struggle for me if you go in July. But they love it. There's no refrigerator, but they love it. Why? Because they have faith. They lived it out. They follow God. They are soaring. And just it's just an amazing thing. And it's such a blessing uh, to be there with them. It's so cool. And again, they soar. They have faith. They trust in God, right? Trusting in God no matter what's coming at you, right? No matter when you can see what's around the corner or not. And just to show, just to show that God knows us, and he's not asking us as someone who doesn't know us or doesn't know what he's, we're experiencing. We just need to look again at verse 31 from Isaiah 40. <clears throat> Let's go to our next slide, and you're going to see what I mean. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They're going to soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. That's one word. And they will walk, and they will not be faint. Now, in English, those two words are pretty close, right? But the way Isaiah is using them indicates they're actually very different. The word weary as Isaiah uses it, means a loss of an inherent strength. So it's very acute. It means I have, we all have strength. We all have a certain amount of strength. But something happens and it immediately takes it away. All right? That's what he's talking about. The word faint, again, is different. He, the way he uses it means uh, the exhaustion of life just drains you. Right? So weary means something that happens very recent, takes away your strength. Faint means something that's happened over a very long period of time that just slowly chips away and eats at you until you have nothing left. So can anybody here kind of relate to those words in some way? You've experienced that, right? And the, and the reason I make this point is that it shows that God does understand us. He understands what we go through. There can be acute, recent events that drain us, and there can be stuff that happens over a long period of time. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's both, right? But this is what's so great about our God. When we place our hope in him, our expectant, assured hope. When we trust, you can have your strength renewed, even during those times. You can soar. You really can. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not be faint. And the normal events of life that take away people's hope, that drain everything, you may go through that, but you can be renewed. You don't have to experience it. You don't have to go through it the same way. And here's the main point. This is what we all should take from this teaching. You are going to have trouble in this world. It happens. It happens to good people. The devil will make sure of that, absolutely. And during those times, he's going to entice you, encourage you to be less forgiving, less patient, less understanding. And he's going to make it seem like everything is crashing around, completely crashing around you. You're losing control. And then he's going to work overtime to make you think God has left you or he's not even there. That's what he does. He's very, very good at it. But here is the truth in this. This is why Isaiah wrote this from Isaiah 40. God created each one of you on purpose. 
He created you. No one here, no one here is the result of an accident or a random set of events. God created you on purpose. He knows you. He created you out of love. But with the devil's help, we brought sin into this world, and yet we continue to do all kinds of awful things to each other. Just turn on the news, right? It happens. But in spite of all that, God is for us. He sent his son Jesus to save us. Our God is patient. He is kind, and he will help us through that. And having said all that, I want to say, I want to say that we can have a better life through Jesus Christ, but it's, it's more than that. So here's what I want you to, I want you to picture what I'm about to describe. Imagine, imagine if it wasn't just Sebastian or Florida, United States, but the whole world. Imagine everybody, the world over, believed in Jesus Christ, but also followed him. I mean, like just nailed it. Imagine what would happen to all the news organizations. There'd be nothing to report. How different would the world be? And I don't mean right or left. I just mean how much different would the world, how much safer, how much more hope would there be? I mean, and then if you just really think about it for a sec, how much more would people start to soar? All right? And see, and that's what Isaiah wants us to get a little piece of, just a taste of it so we see, so we understand what he's talking about and how the world can be and how it should be, how the world could look if we did that. A life of Following Jesus is a life of hope and, and, and being renewed. And this hope is infectious for others. That's, how, that's why Jesus wants us to live out our faith, because people will see that. They'll see a difference, and they will ask questions, and they'll want to know. And it's a great time to share your faith. Following Jesus Christ is good for your soul. And here's the crazy thing. Everything we talked about so far is just the immediate effects on the world, the physical stuff around us. We haven't really even, but we barely touched on salvation living forever in heaven, where there is no sorrow, there is no pain, no one gets sick, right? Now throw that in, and now you can really see where Isaiah is taking us, right? It's all-encompassing. And most importantly, these words are meant to reach out to people who are lost, who have no hope, and to draw them in, to tell them there's a better way. This is the kind of God we have, and we are very blessed. So this is what I want to do now. We want to say a prayer together, and in this prayer, let's all together, let's pray for an increase in faith, in trust, so that we can soar on wings like eagles, and then through our lives, how we live, we can bring hope to other people who don't know Jesus, okay? Now, also in this prayer, we also want to, we always do this, we want to give the opportunity to anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. We want to give the opportunity to ask him into your life, to give your life over to him. And what we're going to do is we're going to say the sinner's prayer, and all you have to do is repeat the words that I say. You can pray right along with us, okay? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today we also pray, we pray that you would increase our faith and our trust in you. Help us to lean on you for all things. When we go through difficult times, remind our hearts that you are in control and that you have a plan. You're always working for our benefit. Help us to soar on wings like eagles. Father, help us also to be kind, gentle, patient and humble. 
And as we go about our lives, guide our steps, lead us to people who don't know you and your son, that we can share the hope that we have in him. And finally, Father, we thank you for the life you've given each one of us. We thank you for your church. And most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we all said, amen.